how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Before he entered filmmaking, cinematographer Sam Levy would not have described himself as a technical person. He didn't have the whole J.J. Abrams Super 8 childhood that many other creatives grew up with. Instead, he pitched this missing piece as an asset, not a liability. Levy's ability to leap without worry of what was underneath him has led to an impressive career, where he shot for directors like Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, and worked on projects for Jerry Seinfeld, Judd Apatow, Norman Lear, and Kanye West. This background led to Levy's latest project, Mayday, which was written and directed by Karen Sonore. The story, which is the first project of this scale produced by Levy, is about a girl who is transported to a dreamlike and dangerous land where she joins an army of other girls engaged in a never-ending war on the coast. In this interview, the cinematographer talks about the 1992 documentary Visions of Light, how work ethic is often more important than experience. His fascination with the with the his fascination with the film Citizen Kane, why creatives should compartmentalize ambitious goals, and how to choose team members who have creative stamina. I I first really got introduced to cinematography when I was in college. Um, I was a, like a quasi film student. Um, I, I was a comparative liter literature major and became interested in film and managed to convince the one uh, teacher who taught film production at, at my school. I went to Brown University. Uh, they didn't really offer a film production major, but um, there was one class taught by this fantastic teacher. Her name's Leslie Thornton. She's a really important avant-garde filmmaker. And um, I convinced her to, <laughs> to let me in. Um, and um, I started making 16 millimeter films in her class. And, you know, in, in those days we, we did everything. I mean, like most film students, we, we shot the film and then, uh, you know, we'd send it to get processed and then cut on a, on a Steenbeck flatbed editing machine. And 
I quickly found that um, shooting was the thing I enjoyed the most. Um, and I, I, I was, it was the thing I was best at. I was most interested in it and I just sort of had a knack for it. And I'm a non-technical person. I was never, uh, you know, I didn't grow up with parents who ever held a camera really in their life or, you know, a lot of the people in that class, when I, um, when I started, they all knew how to work a, a still camera. They knew what a light meter was. They knew what a shutter speed was, all this technical stuff. And I was never technical like that. And I, I felt a little intimidated at first. And I always tell this to young people or just anyone young or old who's interested in filmmaking or just learning photography. You don't have to have any kind of background to learn or to be good or become good just because you don't have access to or have the kind of parents who, you know, gave you a camera when you were a kid. But um, so I was taking this class and around that time there's this great documentary called visions of light which i highly recommend it's a documentary about the art of cinematography and it, it was in theaters around that time and i saw it and was really taken with it um you know they just interview a lot of the cinematographers of the day who were very popular you know in the early 90s as well as um talking about their predecessors like you know, Greg Toland and um, who shot Citizen Kane and, and um, just, you know, some of the pioneers of cinema, not just in Hollywood, but around the world. Um, so that really captured my imagination. I started to understand, of course, there's a whole industry of people who not only make films, but shoot them and work in cinematography or work, you know, as a, an assistant to cinematographers and um all while this was happening i um i got my first job in new york i was an intern at a commercial production company and i uh, often say my fellow intern that summer was patty jenkins the director and we both became camera assistants around the same time and i just kind of got swept up in the whole thing i just was really taken with the art of cinematography it just seemed like uh, you know this very mysterious fascinating way of life and and along the way i was really fortunate i got to work for a legendary cinematographer named harris civitas who shot a lot for gus van sant and david fincher woody allen noah baumbach who, who he later introduced me to and that that was just yeah that's like a even though it took me a while to, to say that that's sort of like a quick summary of how i got into it what are so i've been really fascinated lately with some of these like uh, unusual connections in the industry and that type of thing. So maybe going back to that first, when you were, when you were kind of selling yourself to that teacher, um, when you didn't really have the experience or the knowledge, did the inexperience help you or any, any way? Like what were some of the things you were saying to get into that first class? That's a great question, Brock. Um, oh, I, actually, I would say in the big picture, this is just my personal opinion. I think inexperience uh, can is almost always an asset. Um, that is, if you're willing to work hard and you have a good attitude. Uh, you know, if, you, if you have a good work ethic, inexperience um, 
I do think it's an asset. Um, and, you know, that goes for getting into that class, but also if it's your first time, you know, directing a feature film or shooting a feature film. And the example I love to give is, you know, the movie that most people consider the best film ever made, Citizen Kane, was made by a first-time director, which no one ever seems to acknowledge when they're, you know, speaking ill of particularly a young person directing their first feature, and I think Orson, or oh, Orson Welles was 25 when he made that movie. I could be wrong about that. But, but then to go back to your question, um, I really didn't know any better. Um, I didn't know what I needed to do or, or, or not to get into this class. I did know it was very popular, and I suppose being kind of a competitive person, you know, I grew up playing sports and that kind of thing, I thought, okay, well, this is really just a problem. You know, they probably want to let people in who've actually made films. And I, I had, you know, in high school and, and elementary school, I was I did a lot of theater stuff. I would act in plays and kind of work work on plays with my friends. And then I, I had a friend who was an amateur VHS video filmmaker, and we would I would appear in his short videos just for fun and so that's what I showed this teacher and I sort of got it in my head I, I saw looked at her and I thought I, I know I can convince her um, which was just I don't know why I thought that um, and she wasn't someone easily taken in by like a hustle I just thought like oh, she seems like my kind of person I bet I can appeal to her I feel like I can connect with her and I don't know I don't know if that answers your question, but I, my lack of experience, I think I just didn't know any better. And sometimes, again, if you have the work ethic and I was ready to work and honor her allowing me into her teaching space, um, and I later became her teaching assistant, which was really helpful to make a little extra money and, and, and learn the gear, I, I don't know, perhaps she sensed that I would honor her or uh, welcome, welcoming me. You may have already answered this, but to, if you're for those first timers, if you're you know replacing experience with something else, is it mainly work ethic? Is it like humbleness? Like, what are some other traits that you might categorize for that uh, t to make that first leap? Um, well, specifically for the first leap, I mean, I, I think. Once you gain experience, I'll speak from my own my own experience. You know, once you've been working in the movie business and you know, working as a cinematographer for a while, you know, it's it's a very difficult way of life, mostly because it's just incredibly labor intensive. And if you aspire to work in feature films and long form narrative storytelling, like I do, it's you know, it, it, it's um you know, your life is in flux all the time. You never really know what's going to happen. Like maybe you know up to a year ahead. You know, if you, if you take a like a long TV show or something like that, like, like you probably know what your next 10 months is going to be or something like that. But you never, you never really know, especially nowadays with, with COVID and needing to stay safe and just things being really tentative. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I guess 
when you're newer and just really in love with cinema and movies and ideas and just like if you're just inspired and just have to do it then um i think i think sometimes that does make for a certain ingenuity that the experienced person who's done 10 15 movies might not have um and i would say it's it's kind of great when those two types of people can work together so in other words you know someone if it's a writer director particularly if it's a young person with an incredible idea i think they can benefit from uh you know an experienced dp or production designer or costume designer sometimes but but then you know sometimes you know just to give an example like um if you take spike jones's first uh feature film being john malkovich mm-hmm. uh you know when when spike shot that with Lance Accord and his production designer KK Barrett I, I can't attest to that it being their first feature for all of them but, but I know they were a group of people who kind of came up together and you know we're all fairly new and having a little bit first spike on on some short form stuff I got to talk to him a little about this and you know it's all just um you know you, you want to surround yourself with people who have uh, you know again a great work ethic but also just great energy and and inspiration and just people who have both the physical emotional and creative stamina to you know push through when you're halfway through or two, two-thirds of the way through a movie and you know you're exhausted and you you sometimes to be perfectly honest if you can't see straight and you're just like okay if you're me if you're a dp like i just need to make sure everyone's in frame and they're sharp and like we, we just we just there's some critical points we need to make this day get through these scenes and get them great but and just to keep keep your energy up and your enthusiasm up and sometimes when you're new you may be more apt to be in that place not not always and there's no rule to any of this stuff but it's interesting it seems like, and I'm just kind of picking through your your catalog here. Like you worked on While We're Young and the show Crashing, the movie Lady Bird, the Jerry, the new Jerry Seinfeld special. It seems like these things have a lot of um, potentially prep work. I, I, at least I've heard the writers speak in different points about how much they think about their scripts and Noah and Greta and those type of things. But what's the first thing you do when you when you see a script or start talking to the director? What's some of the first things you do as a cinematographer? Well, ideally, um, on my own, I'll read it as many times as I possibly can before the first conversation. Uh, you know, once I've, we've all agreed, like, hey, let's do this together, let's move forward. I'll read it through, maybe not too many times, because you, you, by the time you're, by the time you're done shooting a movie, or by, you know, by the time you even start, you need to read it quite a few times. and. I don't want to read it too many times at first to just 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 keep the energy alive. But the first conversation with the director, ideally, we'd mark out enough time so we could just go page by page uh, through the entire script and and just do a, a 
uh, you know, make it a document, a shot list document, just describing every conceivable setup we think we might want. And um, hopefully we can do that several times, do several drafts and, and refine this document. Um, and I find that really helpful and it, it manifests in different ways. Um, if the director has written the script as well as being the director, which um, most of the movies I've shot, the director has also been the writer. Uh, I'll very often read uh, the screen direction and even some of the dialogue out loud so that they can hear it um, or we'll, you know, they both take different parts if there's, you know, a lot of different speaking parts. And then we'll, we'll just read through and then I'll type up, you know, whatever, whatever shots we want. And then in addition to that, even if we don't have locations yet, I'll try and do, you know, overhead diagrams to show blocking or, you know, like a theoretical location. And, and then sometimes we'll storyboard. Um, you know, most of the time I don't totally find that necessary unless there's a really precise action or, you know, an action sequence or, you know, something exploding. But but not always. And, and that, you know, first conversation allows us to discuss how we'll, you know, the, the style of, of um, you know, the shot selection, how they might cut together, how things transition one from the next. And it, but it's, it's the first conversation. So it, it's a nice way to start. You don't have to really commit to anything. You just describe ideas. And again, hopefully we have enough time to go back through to refine it, to make it more precise so that by the time we get to the first day, we've committed to a methodology. In, in other words, um, you know, you mentioned while we're young, you know, when I made while we're young with Noah or also Lady Bird with Greta Gerwig, um, it's helpful to see both of those, both of those movies are very different, but they both, you know, have quite a bit of dialogue. You know, a lot of the story is told through characters talking to one another. So an important thing to determine is, uh, if we want, you know, to cover the scenes with, with a lot of different shots or, or selectively allow, you know, a page of dialogue to happen in one shot, you know, and that first conversation, you can, you can say like, how about this page or two pages happens in one shot? What about that? And then it gives the director an opportunity to say, yeah, let's explore that or, that, you know, that just doesn't feel right. Or, you know, you can get these big ideas out there. Um, and then if you, ideally, if you have a draft of this document before you even start scouting, it's all just kind of floating around and that conversation informs what you're looking for. You know, and, and while we're young, Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts live together in a Brooklyn apartment. He's a documentary filmmaker and she's a documentary film producer there you know, New York City intellectuals who don't have a lot of money and live in Brooklyn. And so it was important that the anthropology of the place that they lived was correct. Um, in other words, not not too big, not like some, mm -hmm. some movies or TVs you see, t TV shows that you see where yeah. uh, people live in an enormous apartment right. in New York City who don't, who aren't rich, you know, who never would live in that kind of a place. Um, but, okay, so we need to find that place that, that makes sense, but also is big enough for us to be able to work in and maybe, you know, 
gives us some decent available light. And um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's how we get into it. You've been shooting now for, for about 20 years or so, just looking at your IMDb page. Has, has it mostly been um, progress in terms of like a, an ongoing learning experience or have you seen like actual shifts in the business and the type of the films you're working on? Both, really. I mean, I would say, you know, it's just the way I think of it. You know, there's in the time I've been working, there's been a major shift in terms of just technologically how we how we capture films, you know, how, how we shoot, notably the digital revolution and the shift towards digital capture, digital streaming, certainly, you know, even when we are able to safely go to movie theaters, you know, digital projection. Um, and of course, like creative affects the creative process to a degree to, to in, in some ways, in some ways, many, you know, the fundamentals are very similar. Um, and I always think, you know, if you look at cinema history, not that I'm, a proper cinema historian, but just simply put, or the big picture of it, if you look at early silent cinema, you know, the progression from black and white to color, or the progression from silent to talkies, or, you know, the progression from, you know, aspect ratios, you know, the frame that we look at being very square at the beginning of cinema history to moving out towards, um, you know, uh, scope movies, you know, anamorphic, cinema vision, um, you know, all the different formats. I mean, it's, it's always been in flux from the beginning. And when people get nervous about things like, well, you know, suddenly a streaming studio demands, you know, 4K capture and, oh, you know, what does that mean? Or what does it mean that, um, you know, movie theaters are, not as many people are going, um, you know, I have my own opinions about all of that stuff, but it's all, it to me just seems continuous from the beginning. Not that I was around certainly, but, um, and just, you know, I think in a positive sense, the democratization of, you know, being able to shoot has improved so that people who, you know, maybe can only, uh, you know, maybe they have like a government phone um, that has a camera on it or a video. That might be the only way they'll ever have access to a camera. And now they can actually do something with it without, you know, spending very little if they have the motivation. It was, it was just not like that when I started. It, it, you know, you, there was sort of a version of it. You, you know, the way I first made things was with my friend's mom had a VHS camera and that's how we made stuff. And it was, that was our version of it. And, and, um, you know, I think if, if, um, if you have the desire, it, it's the opportunities are there perhaps now much more than they ever were. And I choose to emphasize that. I think that's great. Um, you know, I love to teach and, you know, this summer during COVID, a, a friend of mine, Paulus Meminger, is this great organization, Bridge Builders, that teaches kids filmmaking. Like we, we actually managed to do an online course, and we taught we taught kids, you know, um, every day, high school kids. And 
and it was great just to see what they could come up with with just very simple means and that's really important I think that that can create real change and the, the stories being told and how you see them you know these kids when I when we would talk about you didn't ask me about exhibition but I thought it was interesting you know I'd ask them well what's it when do you guys go to the cinema like or you know movie theater and most of them said like you know when there's something really big or, you know it's a special occasion we don't just go you know it's expensive and and um that's important you know that's an important thing to even in this they were talking about even you know pre-pandemic just sort of what it costs to go to the movies i think that's a universal a universal thing it's it's important to to talk about well, tell me a little bit about your, your new film, Mayday. What kind of um, inspired you to take on this movie, but also to kind of step into the um, producer chair as well? Sure. Well, um, uh, the writer, director, Karen Chinore, we're longtime collaborators. We also happen to be life partners. We live together. Um, and it's a project we developed together that, that she wrote and she directed. Um, and in the beginning, it was really just she and I. She had the idea. She wrote a, a treatment, um, and she wrote a first draft. And I, you know, read everything along the way and would give notes and things like that. And um, it's um, it's a really, I mean, I'm, of course I'm biased, but I think it's it's a really amazing script and uh, story. It, it's. Uh, it blends a lot of genres, notably, you know, there's a lot of action, um, and uh, it's kind of based on the Greek myth of the siren, and it, um, it just, when I read it, it was unlike anything I'd ever done, and it just felt really important for me to be able to help bring it to life, and just in the, in the beginning, of course, out of practicality, she and I, you know, it was just the two of us and we were the producers and we just started trying to figure out how to make it. So it, you know, it was out of necessity at first, but then we found two great producing partners, um, Lucas Joaquin from Secret, Secret Engine and Jonah Deason from Complementary Colors. And we were able to set up a workflow where Karen and I could stay on as producers along with them because they're fantastic and great collaborators and it was at a great point in my career where I could do that and they're the kind of collaborators who would allow me to stay on to help with things like you know we, we shot this the, the new movie in, in Croatia and by the time those guys joined us we had found a service company over there that we liked um, called Anti-Talent, we were fantastic, and, um, you know, we have Karen and I set up a foundation for the project, the kind of thing you can, you know, you can set up without all of your funding being placed, just uh, um, on the strength, a lot of it was on the strength of my experience having done things like Lady Bird, which, you know, luckily did really well, and so people had faith at least to have certain conversations and get it started, and that's why it, it made sense for me to produce, which I'd never done before on on a feature. Karen and I had 
produced and, and made her short films before. Um, so this was just like a gigantic step forward from that. What were some of the, if you don't mind going to a little bit more, what were some of the first things you guys did? Did you like make a list of people you're going to send it to? Was she looking or did she already have an agent? Like what were some of those just first few steps you did? Um, she didn't have an agent at the time. Um, I have an agent I love. Um, and he was, he was helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there was a, a a while there where Karen was getting the script in shape. Um, she did a, a few drafts, and I'm not I'm not a writer, but I felt very attached to the to the script in a way that I felt like I could give notes. And and we worked together a long time, as I said, so I, can, I understand her sensibilities. I felt like I could be helpful to a point. Um, and really, there were some, you know, creative friends that we'd send the script to to give her notes. And, um, you know, she'd just like when you show a finished film to friends and family or, or, or a film in progress, she, you know, she would take some stuff, leave other stuff. And then, once, then at a certain point, it was ready to send to producers. And, um, you know, we we're just trying to figure out a few things, you know, it's an ambitious story that uh, we, you know, with a lot of natural landscape. So we're trying to figure out, okay, do we, where would we want to do it? And, you know, we, I, I reached out to line producers I had worked with to try and budget it. And um, a, a few friends helped at a preliminary pass. And, um, and, and then eventually, um, we connected with uh, with Jonah Deason from Complimentary Colors, and then and then the ball sort of started rolling. At a certain point, it's just the time the timing was right, and really on the strength of the script being special, people really res responded to the material, and and we were just, we were very fortunate with with the timing, especially just being able to do it at a point where we you know we finished we finished shooting before the entire world had to shut down because of COVID. I think we're pretty good. I might just ask you one more, just any last sure. bit of advice you might have for some upcoming cinematographers or people who want to get into the business, any advice you might have? Yeah. Okay. Well, if there are aspiring cinematographers or even if you're filmmakers who are not, but I would say to cinematographers, um, you don't, have to be the most technical-minded person to be a cinematographer, um, or you don't have to grow up that way, or you know, be born technical. I certainly wasn't. Um, it's I. I think cinematography is essentially it, it's not as complicated as it might seem. It's very labor-intensive, but all of its attributes. If you take you know something like lighting in and of itself or composition in and of itself or locking in and of itself or hiring a crew in and of itself. It, they're all things that when you sort of break them down and go step by step are not as complicated as you might think. And it's, it's not, um, you know, to use a cliche, it's not rocket science. 
Um, it's the kind of thing if you just can take the time to work through it, it will it will come. And another thing is just try to be patient. If you are willing to be patient, it will happen. It will what, what the things that you need to do to work or to be creative or to make a living will reveal themselves. But it will not happen quickly. It certainly didn't for me and all of my peers who are working cinematographers who support themselves on the whole largely had to work for a long time to get the opportunities that enabled them to support themselves financially and also to be fulfilled creatively. And it's just, it's just a daily process like that. If, if you, you could really, um, you can really get tripped up thinking like it's got to happen right now. If you just find a way to, whether it's, you know, becoming a camera assistant or do whatever you have to do to make your overhead, which hopefully you can keep low. Um, uh, you know, if it's working in a Starbucks or, you know, I, I, know I was a production assistant and then I was a camera assistant, uh, whatever, even that just sort of, figuring out what your overhead is and the things that you could do to make a living while you get your cinematography career going. It's, it's, if, you, if you take the time to do it, it will reveal itself. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.